Blog Talk Radio. I was looking lost, but you see that I am found. Got my Bible in my hand, cast demons to the ground. Now it's time for me to influence the people I'm around. We on Christ's side now, guarantee it's going down. Uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Ask Bishab. I am your host, Bishab, and today we're going to go through our spiritual topics. Uh, today's topic in particular is belief and doubt, and uh, we want to talk about that invisible line that exists between belief and doubt and try to uh, make sure that we know when we're making our choices what choices we're making uh, based upon the scripture. I'm going to begin with a blog um, that I wrote back in October. Um, I'm going to read this blog because it lays the foundation on what exactly happens when doubt kicks in. Uh, the blog is called Doubt is the Bright Stain on the Soul of a Believer. The blog goes like this. Have you ever stepped out with a brand-new white shirt, you're well-groomed, ready for the day, and somehow your new white shirt gets a bright stain on it? I don't know if that has happened to any of you. But if you have a bright stain on a white shirt, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious. So what makes matters even worse is that the stain is right within your eyesight, so it's hard for you to ignore. Well, doubt is the bright stain on the soul of a believer. Of course, you have faith. You believe there's a God. You pray. Yet somehow, just like the white shirt, an unexpected stain of doubt creeps in. Doubt can manifest itself either through a philosophical conversation, the loss of a loved one. Some people say, I'm mad at God right now. Uh, maybe an episode uh, on creation through the History Channel. That could, that could bring some doubt. Um, exposure to a scandalous pastor. Or better yet, through a YouTube link from a friend on the uh, Zygast. Okay, if some of you have seen that um, or have not seen it, if you haven't seen it, I would advise you to make sure your faith is strong. If you have seen it, you're probably already staying with doubt. If you're not studied in the Word or if your spirit is weak, I really don't recommend watching it, but if you are, I do. And if you would like to watch it and we cross-examine, I guess, we're very welcome to do that as well. Anyway, whatever the source, a little doubt can overthrow your faith just like a little leaven which is yeast, can make the whole bread leaven. The foundation of belief starts within your spirit. So if you wash your brand new white shirt, a.k.a. your spirit of the filth of doubt, meaning study the word and feed your spirit, you might be able to deliver yourself from the stain of doubt. Now, let's go into the scripture in Mark chapter 11 and verse 23. It says, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Verse 24. Therefore I say unto you that what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. So we read that in the scriptures, and some people say, 
Ah, come on. I don't I don't believe that. Automatically through doubt, they don't even try. But they may now go to Barnes and Nobles, pick up a copy of the audio book or the book The Secret, um, which speaks about um manifesting things by creating a dream board and um you know, things along those lines. The law of attraction. They tell you the law of attraction or dream boards help you to manifest the same exact thing that you put on the dream board, but yet the scriptures tell you whatsoever you desire, if you believe, you shall have it. And we say, I don't believe it. So you cancel yourself out before uh, even giving yourself an opportunity. Uh, let me make sure I get my co-host in, Amathia. Um, always, I'd love to have her, her views shared. Um, good morning, Amathia. How are you? I'm great. Good morning, everyone. Okay. Today we're going to be dealing with belief and doubt. I don't know how much you've already gathered. Um, but we just read the scripture in, in Matthew. And uh, pretty much is the faith scripture that tells you whatsoever you believe. That's, um, I'm sorry, not Matthew, Mark 11.23. Uh, whatever it is that you ask and you believe, you should have. So that's Mark 11.23 and 24. I apologize for saying Matthew. <laughs> and again, it says, For verily I say unto you that whatsoever, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. People think that doubt is something that, um, you know, you you have the option to believe or not believe. Some things you don't have the option to believe or not believe. For example, God. That's not an option that you have to believe or not believe because there's a, there has to be an explanation for why we're here. The popular explanation, which is in conflict with God, says everything was created from a Big Bang. Now, scientifically, I'm sorry, Big Bang in a vacuum, because you have to add the in a vacuum part to explain why everything didn't just get scattered from a Big Bang. But in its, in its very simplistic nature, you cannot have two stars colliding in a vacuum unless someone created the two stars. So we're back to God again. But they tell you two stars collided in a vacuum, and that's where creation started, but they don't tell you where the two stars came from. So when that doubt creeps in, um, doubt being that um, that bright stain or that um, that little that little dark area, that little dark area helps to overthrow the faith of many people. And so we're going to examine that even through knowledge, knowledge in some regards in this world creates the doubt, because the Big Bang theory is very elaborate. Okay. And with an elaborate Big Bang theory, which is, you know, cancels itself out because a theory, they tell you, is an educated guess. Okay? They tell you that in school. But we're basing our uh, future and our belief structure on an educated guess. Meanwhile, with God, you can actually go and dig up the archaeology in the exact places that he said they would be and find the actual names of the places that were written 
in the scriptures, in those places, but yet we believe an educated yes and we doubt God. The other irony is that at the same time when this theory of the Big Bang and the theory of evolution with uh, with Charles Darwin, when that came into place, at the very same time, which is about 150 years ago, they were just beginning their quest into the Middle East. Well, the irony of that is that any scientist, in order for him to come to a conclusion, has to base his conclusion on all the facts. How could you come to the conclusion that the earth was created from a Big Bang when you're just beginning your uh, expedition into that part of the world? Okay? So you have to look at that. Um, In order for us to see about the scientific versus the spiritual or the biblical view, and if we're going to base it on just a scientific fact, just keep in mind that at the time, um, when the scientists were coming to their conclusion, they didn't even have an elaborate enough ex- uh, expedition in the Middle East for them to say, well, let's bring this into the equation. So they were really guessing Darwin's theory of evolution. Okay, That's a little bit more satanic than we would like to say. But it was not based on anything solid. It was just based on his version of common sense, and we ran with it. Okay? Let's go back into the scripture, and we're going to go into Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Now, this is talking about belief and how belief is the foundation, and this belief may not be based on all kinds of factual book evidence archaeology, maps. That strengthens your belief, but belief starts before you even have all of this uh, evidence. Belief is something, as we go further and show, belief is something that belongs to the sons and daughters of the Most High. They were already, as we covered in previous discussions, predestined to believe. They're not basing that you haven't become a son of God based upon or a daughter of God based upon someone laying out some very strong, compelling evidence. You have always had him in your heart, and only when he ignited it through very simple scriptures, you reconnect with your maker. Okay? Um, Romans chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found? What did Abraham find, and what's it, why is it important what Abraham has found? Well, if we know in the read the scriptures, you realize that Abraham is the father of faith. And so he had to have found something to be given such a great honor because through the promise made to him is why there is even a Jesus Christ. Through the promise made to him is why there's even a chosen. So he had to be of some relevance in order for uh, him to become such an important person in the eyes of God. So we need to know what did he find. Verse 2, Romans 4 and 2, it says, For if Abraham were justified by works, he has whereof to glory, but not before God. If Abraham was justified by the works that he did, as some of us justify the works, even the people that don't believe in keeping the laws of the Bible as the foundation to manage your flesh, even they believe in some kind of works 
such as going to church. They believe that that's the works. And so by going to church, they feel that they're justified. Or as we covered in uh, mortality management, and I advise you to check that class out, in mortality management, it's saying that the guy that is just keeping the law is feel like he's justified by the law. See, Abraham wasn't going to church, and Abraham wasn't keeping the law because the law was not established. He kept spirit law, but he didn't keep written law as we keep today. He just had the mind to follow God and do what he was told. That, do what you were told by God, became law for him. So it says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saved the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So that's what made him such a significant pillar in the faith. And that's what made him a significant enough figure for the seed of the promise to bring back the immortals. And again, you have to listen to some of the previous discussions. I advise you to go through all of them to see what I'm saying about the immortals. He was chosen as the vessel to bring the seed of the immortals back, a.k.a. Christ. So when Abraham believed God, that was counted to him as being worthy enough for him to have that relationship with God. And then through him came Isaac, and he did have two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, and the seed continued through Isaac. And then he had uh, Isaac, had two children, Jacob and Esau, and the seed continued through Jacob. So through Jacob, we have uh, the 12 tribes, and then centuries later, we have the birth of Christ, and Christ brought back immortality through conquering death. So all of this began from what? From belief in God. And so how are we now as the children of Abraham supposed to continue to magnify that seed? Well, let's read it. This is Romans 4. We're going to continue, but we're going to continue from a different area of Romans uh, a little further down. And still he's talking to Abraham. This is verse uh, 16. It says, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all that, all the seed. The promise will be sure to all the seed what promise short all the seed? That through you, you will be the father of many nations, and through you shall the nations be blessed. How? Because the immortals will come back to life that are the descendants of Abraham that keep that same kind of mentality. Christ being one of those uh, firstborn seed of the lineage of Abraham to carry that forth. And what did he bring? He brought immortality. I'm going to read that real quick uh, for some of you that may not want to listen to the whole uh, Sons of God, Resurrection of the Dead, uh, mortality management discussions. Here's a quick glimpse. This is Christ. It says, uh, 2 Timothy 1, um, and we're going to start at verse 8. 
It says, "Be not, be thou, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works." Same thing he was just saying to Abraham, not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So that belief and that uh, promise and that seed was already sealed before the world began, as we covered before. It says, but is now made manifested by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So through Abraham's belief, it was already sealed that through him, it would be the rebirth of life. That life was Christ, and then Christ now brought the way to life to the rest of the sons and daughters of the Most High God. And through the sons and daughters of the Most High God, breaking back up to life and speaking the word of life, the Gentiles and the other nations are also received. Very simple. So Abraham had uh, some significant glory. And so we have to see, as the scripture is saying, what did he find? So back in Romans 4.16, it says, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. By the way, faith and belief go hand in hand. That is what faith is, belief and trust. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not that, not not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, which is the father of, of us all. Abraham is the father of us all. So not the righteousness by the law, but by the faith to believe and trust. That belief and trust is not going to be automatically in everyone, especially if you need to have uh, thousands of books of archaeology and thousands of maps uh, and things written by other men, but you yourself have never gone to any of those places to prove it. You're saying, I have belief in God because I have a book that proves uh, the uh, the the foundation of certain words. I have ancient maps. I have books from the 1800s that before men began to tamper with the books. I have all this information, and I believe that information because another man went and found the information, and so it's a fact. That it's you go into through many through many steps. Bible said it. God said it. It's true. That's just the bottom line for the sons and daughters of God because you don't need uh, a whole bunch of wisdom of this world. But now when you get that additional knowledge, what it does is just fortify or strengthen the faith. As a matter of fact, that information is more for the non-believers to convince them. The sons and daughters of God are already convinced. Okay? So we have to look at that. Going back to Romans 4, verse 17 now, it says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Abraham, before him whom he believed. Very important. So some people make light of belief, and they say, I don't believe that. It's like we opened up the discussion. They say, I don't believe that. 
okay? But they believe other things. You believe when someone hires you and they say, you know, in uh, two weeks we're going to pay you about uh, $3,000. You believe that. And then you get the notice that the whole company's going belly up three weeks after you got hired. But you had faith and you did the works based on their promise. You believed in man and you doubt God. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Like right now, he's talking about the establishment of a divine government in the future. You don't see it right now. If you don't believe it, it's not going to change anything. That's what it tells you in Romans 3. Romans 3 and 3, it says, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Your unbelief is going to stop the establishment of the divine government ruled by the sons of God, ruled by the head Christ, ruled by the sons of God. And the Gentiles and the nations that love God and know God will come and serve him. You don't believe that because all you can see is the current uh, reality. It's not going to change that. It goes on to say in Romans 3, Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Verse 4, God forbid. It means no, your unbelief is not going to make the faith of God without effect. It says, God forbid, yea, which means yes, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mayest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. So if we're speaking these words in faith, just like the father Abraham spoke it, and we believe it, and trust that what he said he could do, he could do, then we're just like Abraham. And the people that doubt, well, you'll see in time. Kind of makes you look a little insane because you're believing in something you can't see. It's called faith. It's also called oxygen, okay? <laughs> you believe in something you can't see. It's also called oxygen. You, have, you believe that, all right? Verse 17, again, he says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him of whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and called those things which be not as though they were. Okay? That's how he created the earth. He said, let there be light, and there was light. It wasn't light first, and then he said, turn on the light. He said, let there be light. So that's how he called things that are not as though they are. That's what make you even stand and believe uh, that you're a human being and that whatever your gender is, because that creation, even of you, before you were even conceived as a human being, he already mapped out your existence. Your life is all destined. You thought maybe your mom and dad, you know, some of us are born from unplanned uh, pregnancies. You thought that your mom and dad... Um, just somehow happened to have you. You're here for a purpose. You are extremely well calculated to be here by a divine plan. And so 
you have to look at that and realize that because you're here for a purpose, you might want to figure it out. Okay? Verse 18. This is the characteristic that Abraham had. Who against hope believed in hope. Who against hope believed in hope. How do you against hope believe in hope? That means that you believe in something that isn't even logically, uh, makes logical sense. So the scientist may, he may pull out his scientific book and look at a theory or look at some uh, uh, case studies or look at some examples and say it's possible because it was possible before. Abraham said it was possible because he believed in God, the creator of all things, that it was possible. And that is one of the characteristics of that seed that would believe even without uh, emetopology, which is the research of foundation of words, without maps. Because your belief is something that was embedded in your DNA before you even ended up in your mommy's womb. It was already embedded that you would be of the seed that believe goes further to say, Romans 4.18, for those that are just joining us, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. He didn't do it to become the father of many nations. He did it and became the father of many nations. The father of many nations because he's the father of faith. And so whoever has that type of faith that believe in those things that are not as though they be and believe in hope against hope, that makes you of that seed that would have that type of faith or believing in the seed. You believe in the manifestation of the seed, which is a.k.a. the sons of God. You believe through the sons of God in Christ. And that's covered in John 17, verse 20, for you that like to read that yourself. So it says, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. So what did Abraham find? That he believed in the invisible because God, the relationship he had with God, he trusted him. And so his seed, his descendants would have the same mentality. Now, if you're one of those that's saying, I don't believe that, then it's okay. You're not of that seed. You're going to have to believe when it's manifested, which is manifesting itself already. So, you know, your days of doubt is numbered. You have numbered days of doubt. It goes on to say more characteristics of the seed and the father of that seed, the father of faith. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, because he was an old man. He considered not his own body, now dead, when he was an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So they told him, yeah, Sarah's going to have a child. And Sarah laughed. <laughs> Sarah will have a child because she was old. And this man is a hundred years old. How many of you out there have a great-great-grandfather that's still alive talking about he's going to have a child. Would you laugh too? Yeah. 
What was the significance of having a child? Because the seed had to continue to bring forth eventually Christ. So the seed had to continue through his son Isaac. And he'd even have Isaac first. He had Ishmael first. But it wasn't Sarah's child. This is the um, trying to manipulate God's word. He said that she will have a seed. She thought she was barren. She told Abraham, go ahead and uh, marry my handmaid. Back then, uh, the women, um, and Abraham wasn't a poor man. Remember, he got all of this substance out of Egypt. He had uh, uh, men living and growing up in his house. He had servants growing up in his house. He went to war with 100-plus men to go and get back lots. So he wasn't poor. So she had a servant, a maid. And because her womb could not bring forth the child, because what? She doubted. A whole other nation was created because of her doubt. That's the children of Ishmael, whom today we call the Arabs, whom today even them um, themselves, through their Quran, have, uh, have, uh, have acknowledged that they are the descendants of Ishmael. So that's not a Kasha piece of knowledge. They acknowledge that as well. So they're the descendants of Ishmael, all created because she doubted. She doubted when she heard it, her little laugh. <laughs> Pretty much saying, what, I don't believe that. Come on. That doesn't even make logical sense. Some of us are in that same frame of mind. We are going to do X, Y, and Z. I don't believe that. Some of you agree in the face of the faithful and in your heart, you don't agree. You doubt. So if you're joining your hands to something that you doubt, you're actually cutting its efforts because you're not doing it in faith and wholeheartedly. That's like the equation I always like to give with negative and positive. For those of you that have passed math in elementary school, you know, uh, or high school, you know that a positive plus a negative, depending on how much the value is, for example, positive 10 plus negative 5 equals 5. Hopefully I'm not getting too deep with the math. But positive 10 plus negative 5 equals 5. It doesn't equal 15. So if you're a positive 10 person and you're doing as much by yourself in belief and faith, it will prosper more than if you add a negative person to that equation just to have a warm body that is smiling in your face and are filled with doubt. So it is your responsibility to make sure that you join yourselves to people that believe. Other than that, you'll be carrying the ones that don't believe on your spiritual back. That might explain a whole lot of things for some people in their own life as you look to the person next to you and wonder, hmm, that explains it. So be mindful of who you join yourself to because you may cut your faith based upon their negativity. Now, is it okay for us to help other people increase their faith? Absolutely. But when you join yourself in contracts, written and unwritten contracts, commitments to negative people or to unbelievers, what happens is you're unequally yoked. It cuts your effort. You're spending more time reconvincing them of the faith and belief 
and it's going into them, and it's pouring right out of them. So just keep that in mind. So it says, therefore, uh, let's go back to Romans, and being not weak in faith, verse 19, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that he was that what he promised he was able to perform. And that's the mentality we have to look at. That what he's promised he's able to perform and be fully persuaded. But if you're not fully persuaded, then any piece of doubt could come in and totally overthrow you and overthrow your faith because you were well-rooted. So you have to be fully persuaded. Now, um, because the seed are already born with that mentality, they are pretty much already fully persuaded. But now you get additional proof. And for the faithful, when you get additional proof, you gather that proof because you look at that proof as a, as a tool to help other people believe. And it may even help to fortify your belief because doubt is coming through every uh, channel it can come. Television, friends, family, your own experience, your own shortcomings, all of that. The internet, zygast, whatever. Doubt creeps in, overthrows your faith, and forget about it if you're uh, in, in some leadership position, especially a faithful leadership position because you're under steady attack because by making you fall, it's like the lead bowling pin. The bowling ball, doubt, hits the first pin and knocks everybody else down. So you have to make sure, especially those that are teachers or leaders or people that uh, you know other people look up to, you know, if you're one of those people that other people look up to, you, you're going to be under steady attack, attacking your credibility, attacking your belief, everything. Because by knocking you out the box, it gets to knock everyone else out the box. Okay? It says here, verse 21, Romans 4, and being fully persuaded that what he promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore this mentality that he had, it was imputed to him for righteousness. In other words, there's over 600 laws in the Bible. Abraham, before those 600 and change laws were written, Abraham believed God. And that one belief equal the 600 plus laws. That's what I'm saying. That's how powerful belief is. That's why it says it's not of works because he believed it was imputed to him for righteousness. So anytime he might have fell, he had that belief as the deliverance, the pardon for falling. Wherein other people would have to go and get a lamb and whatever, take it to the priest, and the priest would sacrifice the lamb, and then that will supposedly make you clean. Your conscience was still uh, dirty. With Abraham, he didn't have to do all that. 
Number one, because he believed like that, he didn't even want to transgress. But if you transgress, the imputing, which means to hold you accountable, if God's going to hold you accountable, he doesn't hold you accountable. You ever heard of the presidential pardons? Man is on death row and the president pardoned him. He's good to go. It doesn't mean he didn't commit the act. It just means you know, the highest um, office in the United States of the law says you're good. If a man could pardon you and you don't go to death row, you better believe the king of all people can pardon you. Some have a problem swallowing that because they are uh, fielded by the works of the law. They're justified. Okay? Verse 22, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone. And some people stop right there and say, yeah, well, that was Abraham. That was before the law, you know, uh, but we're now under the law of Moses. Um, and, you know, we have to keep that because if we don't keep that, then the Most High is going to send a ball of fire from heaven and burn you up in your kitchen. Well, that would mean a whole bunch of kitchens should have been burnt up because I know any so-called righteous man out there, I know just in January alone you had some things you wish you can get blotted out, much less let's go into 2010 or go back to when you first learned the word. I know that your kitchen should have been burnt up and remodeled about 200 times already, if that's the case. But we teach that. We teach death as punishment for transgression because the death, the fear, is supposed to make men not want to commit sin. What I'm saying is the love also and the honor and the humility for what he has done by not imputing sin to you, that alone humbles you. You imagine you owe somebody $100,000 and they call you and say, hey, you know, I was thinking, man, um, don't worry about that. Imagine if you had about 30000 of it saved up and you were just waiting for the day to pay them the 100 and it took you two years to save up the 30000 and they call you and say, hey, don't worry about it. Are you going to give them the 30000 just in good faith or are you going to say, thank you? So I'm thinking about what you could do with the 30000 So this is what I'm saying for the debt that was piled up, we were supposed to pay with our life. And he said, don't worry about it. Instead of us accepting that, we said, okay, we're going to continue to try to you know, work it down. So it's not of grace, it's of works. And if it's of works, you got to pay the whole thing whenever you have the money. This whole thing that you're paying for Christ is his life in exchange for yours. Guess how you should pay for it? With your life. Not no little one or two laws that you keep, 50% you keep, 50% you can't. Like I covered in the first discussion about mortality management, that I'm not speaking to not keep the law. I'm speaking about the justification of it. And remember, the law is used for you to manage your flesh. That's it. Manage your flesh so that you can uh, not provoke uh, pre-early uh, death and not jack your body up because you're just giving the responsibility to manage this dead body until it's redeemed. So hopefully that's clear. Now concerning this not imputed sin, some will say that only applied to Abraham at his time. 
it goes on to say, not at not verse twenty three. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed. So in two thousand, there are some people whom he will not impute sin. Some of them may be keeping the law. Some of them may be totally ignorant. But if they're a child of the Most High, they have that mentality like Abraham that we read up earlier, verse 18, which says, who against hope believed in hope. And as we read in verse 20, who staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Those individuals, some of them are going to be in the law and wake up and realize, okay, I have a, a pass. Okay, cool. I'm going to still continue in the law. And some of them that didn't have law and say, wow, I didn't know that I was supposed to manage my flesh. Well, I'm going to go ahead and implement that, but I believe. It, it goes like that. Some are going to wake up ignorantly. Some are going to wake up to this understanding um, while in the law and just feel, feel um, because if you're keeping the law and you know you've broken a bunch of them, you feel like, man, when judgment day come, I don't know how. I hope you don't bring that up. And I hope you don't bring this up. And I hope he's he going to bring it all up unless he pardons you. There's no need to bring it up because he's not holding you accountable for it. Okay? It goes on to say, verse 23, I'm sorry, verse 24, but for us also of whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up uh, Jesus our Lord from the dead. If we believe. Goes on to say in verse 25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. That's what redeems you and that's what justifies you. Okay? I'm going to open up the mic. Um, Amafia, what do you think about some of this? Um, I had some feedback from you, so I had to temporarily mute your mic. But did you have any feedback on anything covered so far? Uh, yes, I was taking notes as you were going. When you're talking okay. about Christ and, and belief, I was just sitting here thinking, you know, it, it's difficult for me to to explain or to defend Christ when I in, encounter those type of individuals because that's just something you feel. It is a faith. It is a trust. And if that person doesn't have it, it's more difficult, you know, to make them get it. You know, so I said, like, that's something that's got to be given to you by spirit. I, I can't give it to you. So that's where that, when I think of belief and that faith, it's just something that is in you. It's innate. Like you said, you're born with it. Like when, when you were talking about the Big Bang Theory, and I was taught that in junior high school, my spirit never received that from the minute they said it. I just learned it enough to pass the test, but it never sank into my spirit about any of that. And when I left that class, that science class, I never thought of it again just when I got older and really understood, you know, what they were saying, because I not only did it not sink in, I didn't know what she was talking about. So, like I said, I knew enough just to pass the test. But it right. never it never sank in for me. And I was also right. thinking of, you know, when you talk about faith and, and belief, the woman with the issue of blood is the first woman that always comes to my mind because her belief, when she heard that Christ was coming through, she began to believe at yeah, she she already believed in him. Then she heard he was coming through and she knew that if she could just get to him, that she could be made whole. 
And then the, her deep her belief was even further demonstrated because she just wanted to touch the hem of his garment, not him that touch her, you know, to heal her, just to touch a piece of a garment that's on him to show you how to demonstrate how deep her trust was in Christ and what he was capable of. So she's always the woman that comes to mind. Also, um, I wanted to throw out there for those who are listening, if you do have doubt um, or unbelief, one of the things you might need to check into is if you're feeling guilty about something, because a lot of us feel guilty about things, and then we start to feel that we're unworthy to for certain things. So guilt, uh, you're not free. If you're, if you're feeling guilt, then you found yourself caged up, and you need to free yourself from that guilt so that you can believe and have trace, trust in the Lord. So I think that's one avenue for those who doubt. If you're feeling guilty about something, you're feeling unworthy, you need to let that go because there is forgiveness. And right. um, yes. Go ahead, I was, Yeah, I was just going to say lastly, because I'm going through all of my notes, um, when we're asking for, you know, look at what it is that you're asking for and the purpose that you're asking for it. Because in James 4 and 3 says, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> um, James 4 and 3 says, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. So also, don't if you're doubting, um, look at what it is that you're asking for the purpose that you're asking for, you may very well be down because it's not something that you should be asking for to be given. It doesn't have a purpose. So I just want to all right. throw all of that out there. <laughs> okay. And and you're right. And and um, even the example that you gave with the person that cages himself up, we, we're covering that he, on his children, does not impute sin. So it's almost like he has redeemed you and let you go and you're you're still holding yourself accountable. It tells you in Ezekiel that it's a day-to-day thing. The righteous man cannot uh, carry over. You know how they have with some of these cell phone companies where you can carry over your minutes. The righteous man can't carry over his minutes or carry over his righteousness when he's sinning. You can't say, but wait a minute, you know, I'm righteous uh, yesterday. Uh, the day before that, and today I just feel like being a little wicked. I mean, I think I deserve it. I deserve to be a little wicked sometimes. The righteous man cannot carry over his righteousness and justify himself with today's righteousness, um, yesterday's righteousness, as he's doing today's sin. Okay? And likewise, the sinner cannot be uh, overburdened with yesterday's sin if he's doing righteousness today. So whatever it is that you are holding on to, whether your justification from yesterday or your sin from yesterday, today is a brand new day. And because today is a brand new day, you have to find that forgiveness within yourself so that you're not holding yourself to a prison because that's what it is. And that's one of the things we're going to go into in a little bit about Satan and that prison. That's the the doubt he puts in you and traps you up. And this thing here, like how it tells you in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, I'll tell you, you have no idea. Satan is in every single thing that you are ignorantly doing. 
even down to the calendar. I couldn't believe it. As we covered the, the, the discussion about how we used to gauge our days, we used to gauge our days numerically. Now we're gauging our days uh, by a calendar, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It used to be, what's today, the fourth day, the fifth day, the seventh day, tenth day? Now it's, um, it's Wednesday, the second week, first Fridays, and all this other stuff. That may seem very light until you start trying to keep the holy days. That may be light until you really start understanding that somehow someone infiltrated the days and got you keeping a contrary uh, to God uh, system of measuring dates and time. And the scriptures prophesy they will seek to change times and laws. Okay? So it may seem like a light thing until you start trying to align yourself. You spend more time looking on your wall than you spend looking up into the heavens to determine the time. The sun gives you the light by day and lets you understand uh, where you are within the hours of the day. You know, they used to have it like at the third hour of the day or the sixth hour, the ninth hour. I mean, that's what we read when we read about the crucifixion and other things. And at the night watch, at the third hour. Now, you don't even look at the moon. You don't look at the night watch. You have no understanding of the stars, nothing. All you understand is the calendar and your watch. And something as simple as that, he crept in. Something as simple as uh, uh, vain repetitions. Someone sneezes, you say, God bless you. You have no idea why you even say it. I mean, God only bless them when they sneeze? Or is there some kind of spiritual meaning behind it? When you start going into it, you see that it comes from some kind of religious uh, foundation. So he creeps into everything. And, you know, we even do it. I've done it, you know, because we're programmed. And we have to deprogram. The more you connect with the king, the more you deprogram. The more you just kind of flowing around uh, passively in the world, then he can creep in and piggyback all kinds of things and get you, okay? So you have to be mindful of that because if you're holding yourself accountable and not forgiving yourself for certain things, then those things begin to be used against you in saying continuously holding you in prison because that is what you're in. You're in prison. Okay. Can I add one scripture to that to support what you just yep. said, what we just said? Yep. Uh, Lament- Lamentations, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and three, 23. Okay. Go ahead. Can you read, Can read it? it? Yeah. It says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So it okay. ties in what you said. Every day is a new day to get it right. Every day is a new day. And so you holding yourself. I know, but when I was a child, when I was 13, you know, I stole something out of my mother's bag and I just can't forgive myself. Well, forgive yourself because you're wasting time. Okay? You need to forgive yourself so that you can become an example of his mercy and his redemption. But if you're holding yourself accountable to that and soon as someone sees you, they see death. In your face, they see uh, defeat. Instead of the victory, they see defeat. Then you're actually helping Satan out. Not only have he conquered you, but he's helping you conquer other people through your depression and through your doubt and through your fears and through your unforgiving of yourself. So it's deeper than just that. It's like if he could get one person and use that one person to get a bunch of people, he doesn't care. And here you are feeling like you're humbling yourself to God by not forgiving yourself and think you're unworthy, and you're actually disrespecting him 
um, and helping the opposition, Satan, by not forgiving yourself. Here's another example of what I'm saying, and also um, piggyback on what Matthew is saying. This is Ezekiel 33. Okay. Um, let's start from verse 7. It says, So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore shalt thou hear the word at my mouth and warn them for me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, Thou shalt surely die. If thou do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require that I die hand. So that even goes into warning the wicked. And we're going to go on to prove our point. But if you now know, which was what we're doing, we're telling the person, hey, man, stop doing that. Stop holding yourself accountable to something uh, that the Lord may have forgiven you. Learn to forgive yourself. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. You've cleared yourself because you warned him and you're clear. Verse 10. Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel, thus ye speak, saying, if our transgressions and our sin be upon us, and we pine away in them, how shall we then live? See that pine away? That pine away means that you are deep down buried in your unforgiving of yourself. Okay, become a liability to the faith. Say unto them, as I live, save the Lord God, I have pleasure, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye. Turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? So the Lord is saying, turn from your wicked way. He ain't telling you stay in it and, yeah, you deserve it because I'm God and you knew that I would be upset and I'm still upset. I'm holding a grudge. God don't hold no grudge. The minute you turn around, you forgive. Verse 12, therefore, verse 12 of Ezekiel 33, therefore, thou son of man, say unto the children of thy people, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. Like I said, roll over righteousness, roll over minutes. Yeah, well, I um, last month I, I didn't use all my righteousness. So uh, this month as I'm sinning, I figure I'll cash in on that. Well, what do you think about that, Lord? Now it works. Okay, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked... He shall not fall therein in the day that he turneth from his wickedness. Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he sinneth. Very, very, very clear, self-explanatory. Okay? So, there's no need for you to hold yourself accountable, especially if he has not imputed it onto you, but... Even if you don't know if you're one of those that he did not impute it onto you, uh, forgive yourself and turn and do right. Okay? Did you want to interject anything on that, Matthew? Yeah, I just wanted to add one more um, uh, scripture in Philippians 3 and 13 and 14. It says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before 
I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, which is exactly what we should do. Right. So don't look back. You turn us off. Look forward and claim what it is. All right. That's like, you know, you, you're playing in a football game or a basketball game and you, you, you bump against another player. And so what you do, you go and you, you, you walk off the court and you'll throw your, your, your jumpsuit on and leave. No, you continue in the game as long as, you know, you, you try not to do it again, try not to bump into that player again. Okay, so this this is a more serious game. All right, let's get back to our topic, belief and doubt. And uh, we used that example uh, just a minute ago just to show how he creeps in and makes you tie your own own hands, okay? Now, I have a buddy of mine that is is adamant about the word belief and the uh, root of the word belief. Um, and, you know, he has a little bit of a problem with the use of the word belief. The scriptures use it. If it's good enough for God, it's good enough for us. The definition of belief is the mental act, condition, or habit of placing trust or confidence in another. They've taken that part of the definition and say, when you believe, you believe in a man. It's nonsense. When you believe, you believe in trusting in God. The irony in this buddy of mine uh, saying this, that when you believe, you believe in man, is that they're using man's book and the epitomology of definitions found online, written by man, to prove that you shouldn't believe but you should know. I just think it's the most humorous thing. Using man's information to prove that when it says belief in the scriptures, you should not believe what you should know. Too complicated. I believe in God, a.k.a. faith, a.k.a. trust. The scriptures use it. It's good enough for God. It's good enough for us. When it says here the mental act, condition, or habit of placing trust or confidence in another, that's God, not man. My belief in you is as strong as ever, as an example. Christ, that's the man. Mental acceptance of and conviction in the truth, actuality, or validity of something. Something believed or accepted as true, especially as a particular tenet or a body of tenets. Accepted by a group of persons. Okay? So when we say we believe, we mean we trust in the Most High God and Christ, our Lord. That's where the belief comes in. As far as the belief in man and man's breakdowns and man's knowledge, nothing that's being brought forth. Even the information that I bring forth, you get the scriptures, um, you get some examples. And then it's up to you to go and do the research and be convinced in your own mind. If you believe in me, Kashab, then that makes you religious. I don't want anybody to be religious. I want you to have your own relationship with God, but I have to make sure that I give the uh, proper information so that I'm not creating doubt in someone. That's all. Okay? So he says he knows. He doesn't believe. He knows. By saying that, I guess it's supposed to make it somehow stronger than the rest of us in subordinates that believe. Okay? 
So let's go into that. There's a good aspect of knowing. That's Proverbs 11.9. Then there's also some bad aspects of knowing. Let's take a good look at the good aspect. Proverbs 11. When I say insubordinates, I mean that sarcastically because we are far from insubordinate and um, destitute of any knowledge. But we're not basing this thing on knowledge. We're basing this thing on belief and trust. Okay? Proverbs 11 and 9 says, A hypocrite, man, a hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, but through knowledge shall the just be delivered. Okay? And that can mean the knowledge of studying the Scriptures. Or it could mean the knowledge of God in you that you just know. If someone is saying something left field, you may not have the proof, but the minute they're saying it, you start shaking your head because something in you, a trigger goes off, and you just, your spirit cannot accept it. They take that knowledge to mean written knowledge, book knowledge, research knowledge. This knowledge is not knowledge that comes from man, and we cover that as we go on. So that's a good aspect, let's say, of someone tapping into the knowledge, whether written in their soul or written in a library book or a history book or some kind of video you downloaded from the web that proved your point. Um, that's good. If that works to help you be delivered from a hypocrite individual. Here's a destructive aspect um, of knowledge versus uh, belief. It says in 1 Corinthians 8 and 10, it says, for if any man see thee, which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple. So this is now when you have knowledge, because you can have knowledge to a point, like we've been studying for the last few months on the sons of God and the uh, uh, not imputing sin. God may not impute sin, and you understand that, but you have a responsibility to walk a certain way, not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of those who are still learning and still coming up in the knowledge. And it may be your responsibility to explain to them the not being imputed for sin. So if they see you not doing something that they feel you should be doing, such as, for example, the Sabbath day, if they believe the Sabbath day is today and they don't understand that the Sabbath day may or may not be today, and they see you doing something you should not be doing on the Sabbath day, your knowledge, your meat, your maturity can become a stumbling block for the unlearned or for the student that's now coming up. So you may have to uh, edify them, or you may have to suffer in keeping uh, the Sabbath day until they get to a point of maturity that you can have that discussion. Same thing with eating meats in the idol's temple. Someone asks you to come and have a, a dinner. Um, say, for example, um, someone that's dealing with idolatry invites you to dinner, and, you know, they have a shrine and everything in their house, but the dinner is not a dinner to the idol. The dinner is just uh, dinner for you to come and enjoy the time with them. And if you go, 
and there's an idol there, but you're not they're not praising the idol. They just say, Hey, have a wait, what do you want? You want uh some uh some chicken, you want beef? You see the big shrine, you can ignore the shrine because you know that that idol is nothing. Okay? But if they now turn around and say, well, hold on, before we eat, let's give thanks to the shrine and the idol, then you can't eat. Because now you're tying yourself and your soul to a contract of an uh, of idols. So this is an example where someone that may have knowledge goes and is involved with things that may seem to the naked eye of the of the up-and-coming students of God, they may see you in the place and think that you are partaking in the activity of idolatry. You, through your knowledge now, have to make that decision if going is going to cause a greater harm to the unlearned than not going. Where and how is Christ glorified in this situation? Some of us may have to go. You may have to go because you hope to uh, edify that person. In other words, you're keeping the bridge open for that person who may be dealing with the idol. You're going as an agent of Christ in this scenario. So someone looking on may say, yeah, you know, I saw a mafia go into the idol's temple. Yeah, well, the mafia is not dealing with idolatry. Um, That was actually (laughs) work-related or whatever. Okay. So verse 8 again, 1 Corinthians 8 and 10, it says, For if any man see thee which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? Because your knowledge, your meat, your maturity, you become the example of how they should live until they learn how to live through the Spirit of Christ. And so if they see you do it, they may become bold to do it unless you explain it, like we're explaining now. You see, goes on to say, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for which Christ died. So your knowledge now and your epistemology and your research becomes a stumbling block because you know why you're doing what you're doing. But they don't get it. So there's an occasion where knowledge can become a weapon to be used against the weak conscience of those that are still learning. And that's the responsibility you have as a servant of God to make sure that your decisions are not causing a stumbling block. Okay? Now, this is not talking about preference. This is talking about a stumbling block because this person really does not understand. Some people now will use that and say, yeah, well, you know, I have a problem with this particular uh, scenario and you're making me stumble. Not if you understand. If you understand, like if I understand that you're going to the idol's temple to win the soul of the person who is uh, committing idolatry, but then I'm going to turn around and say, when I go and turn to you, to idols, that you made me do it because you did it. That makes me uh, a fool because I'm I'm making excuses. Okay? It says in verse 1 Corinthians 8 and 11, And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ through your knowledge. 
You're not going to sin against a brother or a sister, a believer, through your belief. But you can definitely sin against them through your knowledge. So for those that lean so much on information and data and justification through the, through the data, you may be actually an enemy to the work of the Most High because you're not looking at the whole big picture. You're looking at self-justification, and we have already covered in more than one discussion that you don't justify yourself. You're justified through Christ. Okay? That means that it's not by your works. It's just if he calls you. Verse 13, 1 Corinthians 8, 13, Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will not eat flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. That's called love. All right, I'm not going to do it. I know I could do it. I know I could go into an idol's temple and not worship the idol and have a dinner. But I'm not going to do it if that's going to make uh, you choke. But at some point, you have to mature and understand the flexibility and the liberty that are given to the sons of God uh, and the daughters of God through Christ. Because ultimately, as we covered, you are ultimately an unlimited uh, immortal being. And so the suffering I'm talking about is you have to suffer things within the flesh um, in order for you to win those that are in the flesh. But you're not doing the things in the flesh because if you don't do it or if you do it, it means anything. Okay? It's you're doing it for them. And Christ did the same thing. Okay? When he was asking the disciples, how long must I suffer you? He's asking them, I believe it's in, uh, let me see. I think he asked one of them in Peter's alone. Um, this is Matthew 17. <laughs> you could you could sense even the just <laughs> in in how Christ had to deal with his disciples. You know, you're amongst this man for years. And you still have very simple-minded questions. This is Matthew seventeen fourteen, And when they were come to the multitudes, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oftentimes he falls into the fire and often into the water. You know, today we'll say that's a mental disability. This man here, when he says lunatic, means that something was not functioning right with this man. And so he came to Christ for help. That's belief, by the way. He says, verse 16, And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. He had to suffer the disbelief of his disciples. Okay? So, when we read, it's not always the disciples rolling him and they was all full-blown. Even after he died, they were still doubting that he wrote. So, there's going to be some suffering when you understand the big picture that ultimately your goal is to return to your immortal reality a.k.a. like an angel, and you could jump in and out of, of what seems like human flesh and 
go back and forth to the heavens. Yes, all of that. There's going to be a ladder, the scriptures tell you, that will go and ascend, and the angels of God shall ascend and descend upon it. So, you know, all those are the glorious levels, and you're still stuck on if you should go and sit down and have a sandwich with someone who may be dealing with some kind of idolatry, but you're not eating the sandwich in the name of the idol. You're stuck on that. The only decision you need to make is who is this going to affect and who is this going to glorify. If this is going to affect the weak conscience of a brother or sister, then I can't do it. But if I can go and have this sandwich, which is just food, with someone and show them Christ, then that's the greater gain. And you have to be able to look at that decision in your maturity and make the decision. Okay? That's when your belief is so strong and your faith is so strong that you're not worried about if you are seen in an idol's temple. You're worried about who you're going to come out of that temple with in the name of Christ. That's it. So keep that in mind. Let's go back into this knowledge again. 1 Corinthians 8 and 1, the beginning of that chapter. It's now, as concerning things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Knowledge puffeth up. Especially if you got a whole room full of books. I know brothers that have rooms full of books and no understanding of the simplicity of love. You have all the books, and the minute someone even questions you, you have all the books to justify why you can do what you want to do and miss the whole charity of interaction with your brother. And so you're going to go into the kingdom. You're going to have your uh, your chest filled with books in judgment. You're going to be sitting on your chest with books while judgment. Everybody else is going to be standing there with their head down, and you're going to be sitting on your chest filled with books with your hands crossed can't wait for judgment because you're going to pull your books out and dispute with the king why you should get a crown that's how ridiculous it is 424-220-1850 the line's always open I'd love to hear some feedback from the audience if any as we go through this we have more to go but just so everyone knows the lines are open um, and you're welcome to interject um, in context please what we're discussing, uh, we're going to go a little further into this knowledge versus uh, belief or belief versus doubt, okay? Because what I'm showing at that last knowledge puffeth up and the one about your knowledge uh, affecting the weak conscience of the brother is showing you how knowledge can actually be uh, uh, an accessory of doubt. Your knowledge can help someone else doubt. How cool is that for those of us that self-justify? That your knowledge can create doubt for someone. So if your knowledge creates doubt for someone, you're actually a tool of the devil at that time and don't know it because you have knowledge. So we have to look at that. Okay? I'm going to go on. This is for the wise in this world that justify themselves, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 20. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. So if you're wise in your own conceit, he knows that the thoughts of the wise are vain. 1 Corinthians 1, 21. For after, this is very important, that in the wisdom of God, the world, by wisdom, knew not God. That's all of this is this study and this, uh, uh, scientific 
conclusion. Okay, someone was was kind enough to let me know uh, the other day that the scientific the the scientific community um, actually has acknowledged that spirituality is one of the high sciences now. <laughs> I said, well, thank you, scientific community, for for the uh, credibility now. The scientific community has given you the the uh, the goal to be spiritual now, and their own arrogance still holding themselves in a high position to give such a uh, such a, uh, a compliment. The scientific community has acknowledged the spiritual community. Meanwhile, the scientific community has become a scientific community because of the spiritual community. And we can see that through Daniel, how he dealt with the wise men of uh of of his time and how they were subordinated because they couldn't even tell the dream. And Daniel was able to tell the dream and the interpretation of the dream. How you get that type of knowledge? What book do you go for that? As I explained to someone in a previous conversation, that if you're basing everything on the knowledge and man's knowledge and books and research, then how do you explain a dream that you get of something that has not happened and then it happened? How do you explain that with your books? If you have a dream and the dream gives you a heads up as it did with Joseph, give him a heads up of what's to come, and he begins to uh, speak the dream and people are offended, then the dream is manifested years later and the same dream saves them just as the case with Joseph being sold into Egypt, raised up in Egypt, and his whole family having to come and be fed because of his position as second in command in Egypt. Where do you find that in the knowledge book of the past when the dream is the knowledge of the future? If prophecies are explanation of things to come, that means that the people that are in books to justify the knowledge of God, they're Johnny come lately because the the sons and daughters of the Most High see things before they happen. That's called faith. So in, it's ironic that the self justifies through the knowledge of books and maps and information and etymologies and all this other stuff. Uh, Johnny come lately is because the sons and daughters of the Most High are talking about things to come, and you don't need any evidence except for when it manifests. That's why the scripture said, then you will know that I've sent them when the things that they speak come to pass. So John come lately, um, and this is no disrespect to the brothers, I'm just putting it out there that don't lean so much on the knowledge that is researched in books as your justification because in there is also doubt. And in there is even your own justification, and your justification comes from the scriptures, not from books of research, okay? And again, if anyone wants to debate knowledge versus that, you could do that on the debate show Thursday nights. We can have a topic, knowledge versus spirit. Let's continue. 1 Corinthians one twenty one. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world, by wisdom, knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So even what we're doing now is we bring this information out. It's almost foolishness because he already has the belief in his children, it's just that you speak it and it strikes a, a match 
as another uh, believer brought out, that if you have the gas already turned on, if he has already put the gas in you, when you hear certain words, it sparks and ignites the gas in you, and so now you're lit. But if you have no gas, we can light it all day. We can go through the full breakdown from the creation. We can bring it right now. We can whatever. You still won't believe because it wasn't given to you. You're either predestined or you're not. You're either going to receive it or you won't. Okay, so some of, some of us, we think that when we break it down so well, the person will get it. That's actually vainglory because you're not the one that gives anyone understanding. Even as we do these radio shows, we're just putting the information out there. Okay, if anyone, you know, feels that it's madness, just hit X. <laughs> it's very simple. But if it's edifying, uh, take the information, do your research, and see how the cross-referencing of that information can prove it to be a lie or prove it to be the truth. Okay, but we can't convince anyone to believe because belief is something that happens within your spirit before you even read. Okay, just like he told Jeremiah, I ordained you in your mother's womb. I called you before you were born. I called you. Same thing for all of the children of God. Okay, so in First Corinthians one twenty one, it says for after that in the wisdom of God. So they rob God's wisdom. The world, by wisdom, which belongs to God, knew not God. It's like you're a thief. You take God's knowledge and you turn that around and you start questioning the reason why you're able to even understand the information. You take God's information, you, t you twist it, and you become a non-believer. That's the science versus God. So the scientist now has given credibility to the spiritual community when the scientists should have been humbled themselves to the believing community, okay? Because science should only prove God, not disprove him. 1 Corinthians 2, 6. Howbeit we speak wisdom amongst them that are perfect. When it says them that are perfect, as we covered in one of our previous discussions, I believe it's mortality management, that the perfection doesn't come through your own work. The perfection comes through your calling. Because if he does not hold you accountable for sin, that means you're perfect by default. Not because of your own works, but because there's nothing that anyone could do to accuse you. So you're pretty much perfect. You're just only waiting for your perfect body. And I say that speaking as a man for anyone that's going to run with that. I'm saying you're perfect in his eye because he is not accusing you of sin. Okay? Not that you're perfect based on your own works. So when it says in 1 Corinthians 2 and 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom amongst them that are perfect. Listen what it says after that. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the prince of this world that comes to naught. So we're not speaking the wisdom of this world, because the wisdom of this world embedded, uh, embed doubt. And so the wisdom of this world that embeds doubt is what we, not, we now need to look at, okay? Where does this come from? If you are a son and daughter of the Most High God, he already put belief in you. Here comes doubt through the knowledge that you learn in the world, and you suddenly become uh, unsure. 2 Corinthians 4 
It says this, verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom, a.k.a. the lost, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Because there has to be a reason why you don't believe. So you're talking to someone about the creation. I don't believe that. Why don't you believe that? Because what about the Big Bang Theory? What about it? Well, it makes sense to me. The two stars collided in a vacuum and created mankind. Where'd they get that from? You had to learn that nonsense. So where did you learn that nonsense? The God of this world. Okay. I have a uh, a DV uh, a video that I was watching of this uh, Frenchman, Roger Turneau, I think his name is, and he was speaking about how he ended up in a, a witchcraft organization, and in the witchcraft organization, he was speaking about different things, and the guy approached him and saying, "How would you like to speak to your to your dead mother?" And curiosity brought him into this circle of people. And he said he started seeing people coming through walls and things like that. And he said that that's not, those, that's necromancy. This is this man speaking, not me. He said that was necromancy. He said spirits don't come back. When you start seeing those things, that's necromancy. That's people conjuring up those things to make you believe in those things. So what happened? He started seeing all kinds of things. He's speaking about the higher people and music and all that that have dedicated themselves to this satanic organization. Then he spoke about something else, and he said that um, they have high priests within their witchcraft and devil organizations. And the, one of the high priests within the devilish organization was telling him that at the time that Satan himself this is this man saying this, okay? I'll send you all the link. I'll put it on my Facebook. And if you don't have a Facebook, I advise you to uh, get one and link up to askashab at gmail.com so when I put that link on, you can see it. Or send me an email, askashab, A-S-K-C-H-A-A-S-H-A-B at gmail.com, and I'll send you the link. You can check it out yourself. So this man, back to Roger, he said that Satan himself um, picked his high priest was telling him that Satan himself picked Darwin <laughs> to bring forth this um, doctrine of evolution makes sense because if you look at what was happening simultaneously they were just about to start the expedition into the Middle East so you have to get someone to cast doubt. Okay? And now, what do they teach in the schools? They don't teach God. They teach Darwinism, which in fact is a religion of its own. It's a religion of doubt. So I'll send that out, um, or you can go to uh, Google videos. Um, I think it's Roger uh, Thoreau or something like that. T-H-E-R-E-A-U. Roger Thoreau, I believe is his name. And he has a whole four-part series, and he's talking about his experience as a devil worshiper and the things that he saw and, you know, how he got up out of there. Okay? Some of them, I don't know if they actually get out. You know, I figure some of them are double agents. Okay? But such as uh, 
the guy we started the Sons of God discussion it, uh, uh, Mr. Schniblin, who says the Sons of God will, will rise up in the last days and deceive the world. He's a blasphemer, okay, and he'll have his day. You can't tell me you left the devil organization and doing witchcraft and drinking blood and being a vampire. Now you're a Christian and you're pushing the doctrine that the sons of God will deceive the world when Christ is one of the sons of God. You are a straight, incognito devil worshiper. Okay? Let's go back. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 again. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. So you're thinking when you don't believe, you just choose not to believe. When you don't believe, it's because the spirit of doubt has crept in, overthrew you. You have been infiltrated. It's almost like someone comes, you're in prison. Because, by the way, you start off in doubt. Except if you're a son of God, you have inside of you the spirit of Christ, but it has to be lit. It's dormant. The gas is on, and it's not lit. Then someone lights it. Poof. Oh, man, makes perfect sense. Just like that. It could be one scripture. Okay? I don't know how far this audio is going to go, but wherever it goes, it may ignite and light someone uh, for them to start their walk. Okay? All praises to the Most High. James 2 and 19. This is where the doubt comes in. James 2.19 says, Thou believest there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Okay? So you have some people, like, for example, some of these rappers saying, yeah, I believe in God. They don't tell you which God. You believe in God. That's good. You do well. The devils also believe and tremble. So if you believe, you should believe and tremble. Verse 20. But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? If you believe, show forth that belief. But what happens is, the God of this world, now who is the God of this world? Some of you know. The God of this world is the devil. You can find it in Ephesians 4.14. The God of this world is the devil. So you doubt God because the devil told you so. How ironic is that? Well, if you're going to believe in the devil, you should believe in God. Because if the devil tells you to doubt and you doubt, that means you believe in the invisible, but you believe in the invisible on the left-hand side rather than the invisible on the right-hand side. The devil was made by the Most High. Okay? So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, explains to you who you actually believe in. Ephesians 4, from verse 14, it says, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness. When you look up slate or slight, when you say you've been slighted, it means you've been tricked. You're tossed to and fro with doctrines of tricky men. And what does it do? By the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive you. And that can come through knowledge, by the way. So there's an inner man in you that tells you what's right or wrong, and you overthrow that because somehow some knowledge has come to you, and it sounds so eloquent and so good that that knowledge overthrows you. If you believe that's what we're doing here, 
examine the information or bring out what it is you think is the truth and let's go into it. But if it's debate, save that for Thursday. But if you have something, you say, well, listen, I don't, I don't get that. If you're saying that, what about this scripture? Then we can go into it. Okay? But debates need to be saved for Thursdays. Second Corinthians, back in Second Corinthians 4, again, I'll read it. Second Corinthians 4 and 4, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the image of God, should shine upon them. So that's where doubt comes in. Doubt comes in to uh, block you from receiving the light of Christ, which is just belief. Like you may get it. What the scriptures tell you in Matthew 13, that when you're not fully firm in the word, along comes the devil and catches away which was sown in your heart using the parable of the seed and the sower. That if you're not firm and you believe because you get it, some of us believe because of peer pressure. You may have a buddy that believes, and, you know, my man, he believes, so I believe. That's nonsense. Now, I don't want to offend my man. It's your salvation we're talking about. Okay? Matthew 13, as I said, speaks about how the devil creeps in. So belief and doubt is more so a decision between life and death because you're believing to your salvation and the devil is coming in to give you doubt to keep you in prison to the flesh, in prison under his control, and is feeding you information for you to believe. So you actually, by default, believe in the devil, and the devil believes in God and trembles. How crazy is that? You put a middleman between you and God. Matthew 13, 53, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence, and when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in the synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, When did this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and uh, uh, Hosea and Simon and Judas? Those are the people now that allow themselves to look at you when you are woken up and they swear they know you, but they don't know that the, the you that they knew died. And the new, the you that is of God has woken up. So when you're speaking to people with the authority of a believer, they're still looking at you in the flesh and wondering, but well, where'd you learn this stuff? They said the same thing about Christ. They said, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren James and Hoseus and Simeon and Judas? By the way, that scripture also, when we covered the other day, showed that they still call him Mary, the Virgin Mary, when he had, uh, looks like, three brothers, wait, James, Hosea, Simeon, Judas, and sisters. Wait, so he had four brothers, looked like more than one sister in him, and they still calling her 2011, the Virgin Mary. That's something to think about. Verse 56, and his sisters, are they not all with us? When then has, he, has this man all these things? And they were offended in him because Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and his own house. And he did not many works there because of their unbelief. He said, forget y'all. Y'all looking at me. 
and you questioning who I am. So I'm saying that people sometimes it's just your presence and the fact that you have the audacity to speak of divine things are offended in who you are. I knew you, yeah, I knew you, brother, when you first, you know, cracked open your Bible. They're offended in what you're bringing out because they want to uh, subordinate you to a human being that they know that they can uh, gainsay and justify their doubt of what's being said because of who's saying it. They did the same thing to Christ, so you know they're going to do it for you, Okay. Let's go back a little back further back into Matthew and uh, bring out that point about uh, where the doubt comes in. Matthew thirteen thirty six. Christ already gave him a parable of the sower that sows seeds, and so now he's going to explain it. It says that Jesus sent the multitudes away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man, which is Christ. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. <laughs> he tells you straight up. The enemy that sowed who? The tares. Is the devil. So you're going to have good seeds sown amongst bad seed, all look like human beings. Some may come out of the same womb of the same mother, but some are of God and some are not. And so you may have a brother of your own flesh and blood that you look up to. That's your big brother. And your big brother is bringing some doctrine of Darwinism and it's telling you, nah, man, forget about that Bible thing, man. Darwin was on point. And you, because of the relationship with your brother, allowed the seed of the devil planted in them to overthrow the seed of Christ, which was in you from birth. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. And as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. And it goes into how that's going to go down. Just to show you, the part I wanted to highlight was the devil is the one that sows the seed amongst people that is contrary to God. Okay? Let's go a little further back. Matthew 13, verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When as one heareth the word of the kingdom and understand it not, I used to read that scripture and think that that happens, the understanding not means immediately. I've come to realize that people will be amongst you and don't understand for years. So they're amongst you pretty much sucking off of your spirit of belief and using that as their shield when they themselves never believed. When as one hear the word of the kingdom and understand it not, then comes the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. So you have some people that will uh, be amongst you. That's why Scripture said they went out from amongst you because they were never of you. That it was manifested that they was never uh, of you. Because you can camouflage, but what happens is 
when the trials of faith come, it starts showing who is who. Because faith is independent of who you're with. It's who you are. So the person who does not believe, they heard the word of the kingdom, but they don't understand it. And so here comes the devil, and he throws a scenario and straight pulls them out. Verse 20, but he that received the seed in stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receive it. What? So you mean to tell me that we're going to be immortals and we're going to receive the glorious body? Oh, man, this is, oh, this is awesome information, man. Thank you, brother. Oh, man, I'm going to go tell everybody. Verse 21, yet he has no root in himself. He believes so much on it because of how you broke it down. But when he goes to break it down, he goes and it goes like this. Yeah, man, um, yeah, we're going to be transformed, man. We're going to be like... um. We're going to be like uh, angels, man, like you see Star Wars, like uh, or you see Matrix, like when Neil was changed, but we're going to be just like that, man. And, yeah, we're going to live in the center of the earth. And uh, and it's, it starts, that's not what he heard. Starts breaking it down. He breaks it down wrong. Someone questions it, and guess what? Yet he has no root in himself, verse 21, but dureth for a while, which means endure for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, by and by he's offended. Now, I can't do this no more, man. I, I did it for as long as I can. I tried. You know? I mean, when I first heard it, I thought it was good information. But, man, you know, you guys are talking about some, like, some, I mean, I talked to my people, man, and they said, man, it sounds like some Star Star Trek stuff. You're talking about people, like, changing and being able to disappear and reappear. And, and, and it sounds like you're dealing with some segregation, too, because you're talking about only some elect and, you know, certain people and, I can't roll with that, man. I'm going back into the world. This is somebody that lives right across the street from you, right? He lives right across the street from you, and he say he's not dealing with what you're dealing with. Y'all live in the same neighborhood. Y'all dealing with everything else the same. But because he lives across the street, he figured what he's dealing with is different from what you're dealing with. He's going to deal with a different reality than you. How ridiculous does that sound? I've heard people say, I'm not in the truth anymore. Well, then what are you in? Verse 21. Yet he has no root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, by and by he's offended. That could be someone hanging around you for five years, 15 years. It doesn't even matter. When tribulation comes because of the word, because now the Lord's like, hey, you have a contract with me? These are the conditions of the contract. Oh, I can't fulfill that contract. I'm... <laughs> I, look, I didn't sign up for that. What did you sign up for? You sign up, you sign on the dotted line and poof, you're in the kingdom? Where else can you get something for nothing? Where else can you not work and get paid? But with Christ, it's different. You just don't work and you get paid. You don't prove yourself and you just inherit the kingdom. But he had to die to inherit it. But you're just going to walk in there on his back. It makes no sense. Verse 22, he also that receives seed amongst the thorns is he that heareth the word and the cares of this world. Remember, the God of this world controls the cares of this world. That's why a lot of the servants of God, man, they're going, they're catching some hell because in order for them to really get high up in this world, they have to make some sacrifices that they don't want to make. And even those that are uh, somewhat succeeding 
they're succeeding, but they're always in jeopardy because the devil, the God of this world, in order for you to obtain the things of this world, he wants you to do service to him. That's where the doubt comes in. You understand? He that receiveth seed among the thorns, he that heareth the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Stop showing up, stop dealing, stop communicating, change the phone number. You see them, they act like they don't see. All this weird stuff, for what? Because we're dealing with belief and doubt, and the God of this world slipped in a little bit of doubt, and they cannot face you. They don't even want to go into the scriptures with me. I've heard individuals say, I'm, I'm not dealing with that anymore. I'd stop dealing with that if I was you. Dealing with what? These are the same ones if you tell them there's going to be food and a discussion of how they can make $100,000. They front and center. They forget all non-belief and all shady activity because you have given them the God of this world incentive called money. I've never seen so many people that are divided come together when it has to do with making money. All of a sudden, you're not divided anymore. You're united behind this money. But you say, well, you know what? Um, let's go into these scriptures and try to see if we can come on one accord concerning what it's saying and make sure that we can actually deal with brothers. The true equity of people and the value in people and the gifts between all the sons and daughters of God is greater than any money. Because each one of us, when we look at it, can offer each other some kind of exchange, and our commerce can become our gift. There should be commerce amongst the sons and daughters of God in exchange for their spirit and understanding and wisdom in certain things, and we should be able to get by just fine. But what we, we made the God of this world our incentive and our exchange. Uh, the incentive is, I'll do this for you if you pay me. So the God of this world is like, great. How much do you want? So for brotherhood, hey, brother, I need you to um, uh, to bring something from me from uh, from New York down here to Georgia. Um, you know, how much you going to pay me, brother? <laughs> These are servants of God. Just want to know how they're going to get paid. Put the God of this world in the midst of their transaction. How foolish is that? In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the image of God, should shine onto them. So this belief versus doubt thing is very serious because belief belongs to you and it's a relationship directly between you and the king and doubt is the tricks or the wiles or the slate or the slight, depending on how you want to pronounce it, of the devil that makes you want to believe in him. Then what does he do? He drags you into prison. He drags you into prison under his influence. And you can't get out of his prison, except if you believe. That's the only key to unlock the uh, doubt. The scriptures in Revelations call him the uh, uh, Apollyon. It calls him the prison. He's the, like the guard of the prison. How are you going to get yourself free from him? Here it is in Revelations, chapter 9. And they have a king over them, 
which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue, his name is Apollyon. That's who your king is, the god of this world, the prince of this world, is the devil. And when you believe in the doctrines of this world, you're imprisoned under the devil. And the only freedom from that prison is through Christ. And so when we're preaching and teaching and edifying and showing Christ, doubt comes in and he's like, no, no, go back, go back into, your, into, your, into your cell. And you go willingly because you know his world, but you're afraid of the world of Christ, which is real freedom. And he wants to keep you locked in. So that's what we do in here. We're doing through belief, freeing the prisoners from under the devil. And we just like Christ was. Okay? What did he do? Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Let's go into verse... Uh, I'm sorry. Bear with me one second. Let me just make sure I have the right one. First Peter chapter 3. Verse 18, for Christ also has once suffered for sin, the just, him, for the unjust, us, that he might bring to us, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. What's what we doing? We're going in and we're still straight doing a spiritual jailbreak of your brain and breaking you out of prison through the spirit of belief and truth. And so it's like a tug of war. We're pulling one arm and the devil is pulling the other arm and trying to pull you back into prison. We're like, brother, you got to help me help you. Yeah, but I came across the Zygast uh, video. And what about that? He said that the 12... Disciples were actually the 12 planets. Come on, man. Are you serious? Okay, let's go way back to the beginning. Before there was even a planet made, the sons of God were selected. Let's go back then. <laughs> you got to take them beyond doctrine. And these things stumble them up. And Zygast pulling you back into prison through some knowledge. And we're trying to pull you out of the prison through the knowledge of Christ and through belief. Okay, that's what Christ did. Freedom from prison. Isaiah 61. This is the responsibility of those that believe to free from prison. This is what the truth is. The truth is that the whole world, the whole world is in darkness. I'm going to read Isaiah 60 first. Isaiah 60 verse 1 to 3. Arise and shine for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. That's if the light is really in you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and the gross darkness the people. So that means the whole everybody. I don't care what you're into, you're in darkness. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Because what happens is when that light is in you, of Christ through belief and through your uh, experience, you're able to help those other people that are in darkness see the light because the light is in you. And the scripture says, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. Some of us have what we think is light. We think truth. 
Like, for example, we teach truth is something else. Instead of truth is that there is an immortal life and you're in prison, we teach in truth is something else. Truth is something else. Truth is tribes. How's that truth? And you had people that knew who they were by nation, and they crucified the king, John 10, and he told them, you are not of my sheep. Obviously, a nation and tribe is not going to be the truth. That's true. There is some information that is true, and it needs to be brought out, but that is not the truth. The truth is the whole world is under Satan's influence, and the sons of God is supposed, and the daughters of God are supposed to shine the light of truth so that they can believe and cast the shadow on doubt. That's the truth. If we ain't doing that, you're wasting time. Isaiah 61 tells you to do this. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Those are the people that are doubting because their heart is so broken from the loss of a loved one or relationship breakup. You've got to bind that up through hope, through the scriptures, and through some actual works to proclaim liberty to the captives. Which captives? The whole world is captive to the devil. And the opening of the prison to them that are bound. That's what our Lord did. As a matter of fact, when you read Luke 4, he was actually quoting Isaiah and saying, this scripture is fulfilled today in your ears. Okay? Showing that Christ saying when he came, he was actually fulfilling the releasing of the captives from the prison houses when he came on the scene and when he died. And so what are we as his uh, son supposed to uh, continue and do? The same thing, free the prisoners. What are we doing? We teach you something totally different. It's like you have a, a corporation and you hire 100 guys and 80 of them are doing uh, something else. Like they're at the job site, but they're working on something else. Like you're supposed to have assembly line pushing out cars. You're supposed to push out 50 cars a week. And the guys are so busy playing dominoes and lollygagging by the water fountain that you're not getting your cars pushed out. But they're all at work. They're at work, but they're not working. Luke 4, verse 16, it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as the custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found a place where it is written. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the gospel, I mean to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it to the minister and sat down in the eyes of all them that were in the synagogues were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is the scriptures fulfilled in your ears. Because that's what he came to do. He came to fulfill what was written in Isaiah about loosing the captives out of prison. So what are we supposed to be doing? Loosing the captives out of the bond of the devil, and doubt is one of his weapons. The doubt could come through the TV. It could come through YouTube. It could come through peers. It could come through teachers. It could come through so-called brothers. It could come through your own self. Doubt is the enemy. We look at doubt as an option. It doesn't come with flashing lights saying doubt. It comes in scenarios that makes you stumble. 
So sometimes you get some information. You can't just jump on it. You have to now throw it through learned individuals and say, hey, what do you think about this? Um, I came across Zygast, and it's saying this about the 12 child, and give the learned individuals an opportunity to show what that could mean to free you from going down that road, especially if you're looking for justification to free yourself from the accountability of walking this word you're going to find the account you're going to find the excuses because Zane got all kinds of excuses for you. He got the main one that has been running through the music industry uh for a long time uh do as thou wilt. Do whatever you want. Some disguise that as I'm my own man. You're not your own man. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to the king. You have a purpose and if you don't fulfill that you're going to be pulled out of this world. So that's some of the uh, ways of combating doubt. It is your responsibility to do that. Okay? 1 Corinthians 2 and 6 again says, How be it we speak wisdom amongst them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. So meanwhile, he has you believing in something, and then he's going to come to naught. So what's going to come... What's going to happen to your breakdowns and to your understanding of something that's going to come to naught, such as Zygast? What's going to happen with that when the prince of this world has come to naught? So is the doctrines. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Okay? With that, I'm going to stop there. Um, the lines are open. We only have two minutes, 424-220-1850. If anyone has any comment. Any closing comments? A mafia, if you have any closing comments, or if anyone else has any closing comments, uh, we'll be happy to uh, hear it. Um, and that, you know, will be it for belief and doubt. Go ahead, sis. Yeah, I was just going to, uh, when we were talking, that song crossed my mind, um, Free Your Mind, <laughs> and the rest will follow. And that's very true. And listening to the lesson, I understand what freeing your mind truly is about. And I also wanted to say that belief, you know, you can do a self-examination, you know, of yourself on your belief because belief is demonstrated. You can look at your actions to tell whether or not, whether or not you truly have belief. That's it. Absolutely. Okay. So with that, you know, we say God bless and, and thank you as always for tuning in. Um, these Anything that's being said is open for discussion. We're not the end-all, be-all, but... You better believe that we believe and there is no doubt at all um, about who the king is and, and what our purpose is. But we are open for discussion, and you can always follow us on the Twitter. You can follow us right here on the um, on blog talk, and you can put your comments there. Um, if you have any comments at all you'd like to say about the show, uh, follow um, or just make a comment directly at the bottom of the blog. Each one of the discussions has a blog area, and you can put um, any commentary, try to be tasteful. Any disrespect will be deleted. Um, but anything that is a, a reasonable um, um, comment will be left up there so other people can chime in or we can answer. So with that, I say God bless. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Um, and we look forward to seeing you again next week on the Ask a Shop Show. Remember, Monday through Friday from 9 to 10, we have different topics every day. Have a blessed day. We'll see you soon. I was looking lost, but you see that I am found Got my Bible in my hand, cast demons to the ground Now it's time for me to influence the people I'm around We on Christ's side now, guarantee it's going down